called Ultra Tuscan Orange Grapefruit. My God, America is imploding. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Fan Zone. We are just ticking along here. This is the second match of the season, and it's the number two seed going up against the number 15 seed. We have Robert Parker going up against RJ, because that's the only way I know how to say his name is RJ. So Robert versus RJ, uh, they are showrunners together over at Full Metal Geek, and we are now pitting them against each other here today in Multiplex Fan Zone. Uh, on the desk today with me, I've got the best manager in the biz and the co-showrunner of this program, Mr. Cody Newberry. Cody, how you doing? Co-showrunner. You just tell me where to be and I show up. Yeah, uh, it's. I'm excited. Uh, RJ... Uh, versus Robert. Uh, I've seen them debate challenges in Full Metal Geek together, and they don't normally agree on that. <laughs> so it's kind of fun to see this. I'm excited to hear a crow question, maybe, because we know Robert loves that movie. I'm just stirring up some shit before it. Um, and I'm hoping Lloyd the Moose shows up at least one time. Yeah, this should be fun. And then also on the desk is the Phantom Fights champion of the world, Mr. Nick Tewing. Nick, yeah, uh, the whole how world. are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, <laughs> the whole world. I'm excited. To the Phantom champion. <laughs> um, I'm excited to be here. Uh, yes, these are two people with a lot of history. Um, and let's let's just break them up today. <laughs> Yikes. Uh the last time we saw RJ, uh he did lose his mat his first match, but he made it to the speed round, if I'm not mistaken. Uh Robert, the last time we saw him, we actually haven't seen him in fan zone because the last time we saw him was in a uh title match in that old thing when we used to call it that other that other thing. Uh so that was the last time we saw him. So Number two seed and the number 15 seed. Do you guys have any comments? About this? Yeah, there's an interesting thing, too. The loser of this match will have to retest in the fan zone, and the winner will actually be a captain of a brawl coming up. In September. <laughs> so get true. ready for some crazy shit. Cody is teasing stuff that we haven't announced yet. Damn it, Cody. Uh, the whole testing into debate is going to be really interesting, and we're excited about it. Okay, so first, let's bring in the number 15 seed. It's RJ. RJ, uh, how are you doing? And are you excited to be back in fan zone debating your friend, Robert Parker? I was until I got all those insults. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Cody, this is for you. Hopefully that helps some of these go my way. I'll give you that. But uh, no, um, yeah, uh, I'm excited to be back. It's it's fun just to just to be able to let out the frustrations I have on Robert for being a terrible co-showrunner over there. No, nah, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Robert's the best. I'm kidding. He's gonna destroy me now. <laughs> no, um, no. Robert's honestly the best, uh, and Robert's way more passionate about arguments than I am. So I'm just hoping he doesn't make me look like a complete fool when we go at this stuff. Uh, so yeah, I'm here. You guys asked me to be here and I'm here. So yeah, that's what it is. I'm 15 for a reason. I just showed up so I wouldn't get fined. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, let's bring in now the number uh, two seed. It is the Spobbit himself, uh, Robert Parker. Hello. Uh, 
How are you doing, Robert? I'm doing lovely. I am also going to crush my shitty co-league runner or whatever. Whatever the fuck. I don't know. It's deteriorated. My mind's already mush. I already can't think of the right words. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm actually really excited to come into Fan Zone because, like you said, I have debated it on this channel before, but in other uh, formats and other leagues, really. Uh, and I'm interested to see what kind of knowledge and passion I can bring into these kind of arguments that are not solely fandom based. Absolutely. All right, so uh, guys. Let's get into the match. This is how the show is going to work. We have given the competitors uh, four questions based off of categories that they drafted themselves. Uh, they are going to both have an intro argument, an intro uh, to tell us about their argument, and then there's going to be a five-minute freeform followed by a closing from each competitor as well. Then myself, Nick, and Cody will uh, write on our handy-dandy boards or telephones who we think should be the winner of that question the first person to three is the winner uh rj robert any questions okay so uh we will get started right away with the first question uh and the first question is in the category of star trek the fandom category of star trek and the question is who or which Star Trek film has the worst plot? Which Star Trek film has the worst plot? Okay, Robert, since you drafted this question, you are going to get to go first on this question. So uh, you have one minute to open your argument. I will come in when uh, there is 10 seconds left to give you a warning. Otherwise, your minute will start when you start talking. All right, so let's just be frank. There's a lot of bad plots in Star Trek movies. There's a lot of bad movies. Some of them are caused by bad plots. Some of them are caused by other things. Some of them, it's a combination. Uh, the one that I decided to go for was Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Now, there's a lot of things that are bad about The Final Frontier in general, whether it be the writing, the acting, the visual effects. Uh, but the plot is really what makes this movie bad. Uh, it's not... Um, it, it's not just you know the crew in this scenario it's not the crew in this scenario like some of the other bad plots are it is like a search for god which is kind of weird like i don't really need my my sci-fi like philosophy like you know you get into some of the um next generation movies they're like more philosophical i, I like those kind of ideas and themes I, I want that as far away from theology as possible i do not need star trek telling me about god there's a random ass klingon plot that could have been good but when it's merged in with this god stuff it's just a total mess final frontier is a terrible all right. plot all right RJ, you now have one minute to open your argument. So me and Robert tend to agree on this when it comes to Star Trek, that there's just a lot of things in the Star Trek universe that can be considered very bad plots. What he's wrong about is there is a worse plot out there, and it is the voyage home. Uh, yeah, this plot is absolutely abysmal because it's not even really a Star Trek movie. It's the world's worst time travel movie with the world's worst... MacGuffin, I guess you want to call it, of like, how are we going to solve the problem? Whales. That's how we're solving the problem. Whales. The only option we have in the entire universe in this super high intelligent universe is whale sounds. That's how we're going to save the universe. That plot, that plot point alone is why this is the worst plot in Star Trek. <laughs> 
and I'll save everything else for the debate. <laughs> All right. So, worst Star Trek plot, we have Final Frontier versus Voyage Home. You guys have five minutes. I will come in to give you a one-minute warning, uh, and then the ten seconds at the end. Remember, no talking over each other, nice even back and forth. Go for it. Star Trek Four is a great plot. I don't know what you're talking about. Anybody who has ever seen a Star Trek movie before Voyage Home or has seen any episode of any show has thought at least once, what would it be like if they were in like our time like in relatively modern time just on earth dealing with their own shit that is the, the the time travel aspect is good because it brings them to the modern world the whales aspect is good like you said it's a macguffin it brings them to where they need to be geographically and adds to the modern world and it's amazing the way that they interact with the 80s world around them is hysterical it's some of the best comedy in the entire original series of movies no, it's not. It is back and forth bullcrap time travel thing that you see of someone going back in time and having to try to fit in. At least with the final frontier, you're going up against something that what the whole show was about. Space, the final frontier. We get to a point where we have always wondered what is actually out there. And at least they reached something that was on a different level. We found all these other planets, all these other species. We have actually found something that can be considered a superior being, a godlike being. Where in this other movie, with all these advanced weapons we have, this one thing that can destroy the planet, what do we have to stop it? A sound that for some reason apparently can't be imitated by all this advanced technology we have, we actually have to go back in time and find a whale. It's so, so dumb. It's mind-boggling that it actually got made. In the context of the movie, they actually explained that really well. All the whales went extinct because of overhunting and poaching and things like that. And they say that they can't mimic it. They can mimic the noises, but not the syntax. That's a quote that Spock has, which means you just be speaking gibberish. It's like knowing the sounds of the English language without being able to make a word. So they have to go back and find real whales that can communicate efficiently. They explain that very perfectly in the movie. Uh, as That's far as not the explaining comedy, it perfectly. Yes, that's explaining why you need whales. That's the, that's the explanation right there. I just gave it to you. Uh, as far as just the comedy bits, it's hysterical. You don't want you you want to see Chekhov in the peak of the Cold War talking about nuclear vessels. That is that's hysterical. The pop punk, uh, uh, the the punk uh, radio guy playing the song on the bus. You want to talk about Kirk and Spock talking about uh, colorful metaphors and saying, "Well, a double dumbass on you." That's funny. You want to see these people, this advanced society, like you said, this technologically and uh, mentally sort of advanced society, you want to see them interacting with dumbass normal people on Earth because that's funny and uh, they explain the whales perfectly. But it's not good for a movie. That's like two episodes of the TV show. You don't put that to major film. Nobody cares about that on film. Like I said, at least when you're exploring the idea of a god, and like you said, there is the sub Klingon subplot. At least it gives us more that actually affects the world of Star Trek. This could go away. You could get rid of the voyage home and nobody ever cares that it happened doesn't affect the timeline or anything and that's definitely not true that's all excuses it's all these little it'd be excuses they find like why can't we just do this why can't we just do that why can't we just blow it up they had to find all these little itty bitty excuses that's screenwriting dude yes guys that's whale <laughs> This is what we're trying to do. This is a stupid political message shoved into a movie oh, that's trying political. to make a point. Like, okay, political, not, whatever you want to call it. Like, earth-saving, whatever. They're trying to make a point about, like, we got to save the environment. No, I don't want that in a movie. I don't want that. And, like, the comedy, just because it's funny doesn't, doesn't make it a good plot. 
Something can be funny and have a terrible plot. The Star Trek crew on normal ass Earth is exactly what I want in a Star Trek movie. There's like five worse plots than yours. Who doesn't like a good time travel movie? Especially because they don't get bogged down in the logistics. You say that they they it was a, like a shammy time travel. I'm sorry, I don't need people to explain protons and positrons and all this kind of stuff. And here's why we can go back in time. I just need them to do it. And as far as, as making sense in the timeline, it absolutely does. They're stranded on uh they're they're stranded with the HMS Bounty at the end of Star Trek three on Vulcan and they need to get back to Earth. On their way back to the Earth, Earth is being attacked. Now they need to save it. That it makes sense perfectly in okay, the timeline. But here's people, the people love that You're movie. saying like, you, you say you say you, you say nobody cares about this movie. Nobody likes that movie. People love this movie. You're one of the few people that I know who hates this movie, but everything that you're criticizing is explained in context. But people don't like there are plenty of people who don't like Final Frontier either. They counter your point. You're saying, oh, you don't need all that explanation about time travel, yet you need all that explanation as to why we can't just mimic whale sounds. So you need it for one thing and not the other. You can't have it both ways. Can't Correct. have it you need it too in this situation. It's bullshit that, oh, we're going we're gonna to ignore all the time travel stuff, but we're going to give you every single dumb reason we can think of that we have to give the excuse of why we're going to go back in time and save the whales. It's to be dumb, fair, they, it's necessary, it's bleh. Before this movie came out, they had time traveled in the series already, and they had gone into that bogged down with logistics. Spock basically said, I've done it before, I'll guesstimate. That's That was the explanation. That's all I need. I don't need a five-minute scene, but I would like a five-minute scene explaining why they can't just mimic whale sounds, because to counter your critique of it. Time. Okie dokie. RJ, you now have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. Okay, look, when it comes down to it, Star Trek, like Robert just said, it's already been done before. We didn't need to see it again on the big screen, especially for a dumb reason like just going back to get whales. He can say all he wants about, oh, it was fun to interact with them and everything. No. Frontier has the better plot because it is the final frontier. What more was there to find? You found the superior being that is the question of everybody on Earth. Is there a higher power out there? And it answers that for you in a Star Trek way. And it, and while Voyage Home is just a rehash of another time travel story, like you said, it relies on the humor. That's what it relies on. It's just a funny movie. That's a terrible plot for a Star Trek movie. I don't want it to just be funny. I still want it to make it be an exciting space adventure, not a dumb little campy thing where they're just traveling around interacting with all this bullshit whales are dumb i mean i like whales but having to go back just because you can't make a specific whale sound is stupid <laughs> whales are dumb <laughs> you heard it here robert you now have one minute a dumb little campy thing where they interact with all this bullshit is Star Trek, especially Star Trek, the original series. The campiness, the, the the weird thing, whales, really? That fits in with that era of the content, of the shows, of the movies. They're all like that. And as far as answering the question, Star Trek V does not answer the question. They, It's, it's about uh, suddenly Spock has a terrorist for a brother that he's never talked about before, and he can touch people and make them mindless slaves by taking away their, their trauma, and then they take him to this godlike being, and then they say, what would 
God need with a starship? And he's like, fuck you, don't ask me that. I'm going to attack you. And then the movie's over. It doesn't answer any questions. It leaves you wanting more. It makes you say, wow, this is stupid. Uh, the, the whole thing with the, the terrorist brother is also a villain, as well as this little Cleon guy. Like, that could have been cool, like a, a battle-hungry Cleon looking for a good fight. Like, that is, in the context of Star Trek, a good plot. But it's such a mess when you combine it with all the theological and terroristic and zealot bullshit. Time. All right. Woof. My mind was just blown. Final frontier, then undiscovered country, because they reached the <laughs> boom. Never put that two and two together. Oh, I accept the point deductions for saying whales are dumb. <laughs> no, I accept it. <laughs> That actually oh, well. What? Do you guys have yours? Yeah. Um, maybe. Yeah, I got mine. <sighs> Fuck. That's really close in your head. Huh? All right, I'll go first. I'll get it over with. Um. I think uh, this, yeah, wow. I, I'm going to be honest. I think RJ won this fight. Uh, Robert didn't talk about his movie like at all during the main fight. Uh, it was mostly, it was, it was the, the thing of uh, someone making you fight their fight. And RJ was getting Robert caught up in the semantics of how Voyage Home isn't funny the whales don't make sense. And Robert spent a lot of time talking about like trying to like educate RJ on Star Trek. And we didn't really talk about why the plot of final frontier was bad until, until like the last 30 seconds of his closing, which to me is a sin because RJ didn't get to rebut it. So that's why I, I'm going with RJ on this one, but I, I, I do think it was close at the end, because I think if Robert had said all the stuff that he said in his closing two minutes earlier, I would have gone with Robert. But uh, yeah, uh, Cody, we'll go to you next. Yeah, so um, this was a stupid fight um, just because I hate both these movies. Uh, I hate Star Trek, to be honest with you. I think they're, I think they're all shit. Um, and I thought Wales and God at that in this series is stupid. I just think Robert overall, he ha the more you're saying this, I'm glad now we have to write these downs after the brother bear shark tail moment because I would have been swayed by what you said because you're actually 100% correct. I just felt like Robert just just data dropped the entire time because he knew so much about this stuff, so he tells everything. But RJ, when it comes down to it, fuck whales. They're kind of stupid. And it makes sense, but I have to go with Robert because I wrote it down. All right, Nick, you're the deciding vote. Where are you going? Okay. I was thinking the same thing as you, Tim. But <laughs> that reason was making me think it's obviously Robert because we didn't talk at all about why the final frontier is bad. And so the whole the whole fight was um, the voyage home is good. And Robert convinced me, or the voyage home is bad, and Robert convinced me that no, it's actually good and it makes sense. So at the end of the day, I got that one plot is good and one plot we heard nothing about. So which one's worse? The one we heard nothing about when the other ones appeared. So Robert clearly won that to me. 
All right. Really convince you Whales are dumb. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to live that one down, am I? <laughs> I love it. Tired. That's good. I'm gonna I'm gonna clip it out at the end. Um, okay, so uh, Robert gets point number one in Star Trek. We are gonna move on to question number two. It is in the category of DreamWorks, specifically Ooh. the Shrek franchise. The question is, who is the best character in the Shrek franchise? Uh, so RJ drafted this. He's going to get to go first. You have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. They say that behind every strong man is a woman. Behind every strong franchise, there is a female character that carries that franchise. And you don't even realize it. So for the Shrek franchise, that character is Princess Fiona. She's the only character besides the main character that they try to give some real actual development to throughout the entire series and hers works. It's actually a very nice story. You see a lot of people overlook it because it's called Shrek. But when you actually go back and watch these movies and watch her throughout the entire series, she has some of the best character growth. She has some of the best characterization out of the entire thing. And honestly, the abysmal fourth movie in the main Shrek franchise, she's the saving grace of it. And I'll get more into that into my argument. I yield the rest of my time. Okay, 15 seconds early. Okay, all right. Uh, Robert, you now have one minute to open your argument. Yep. We both picked relatively unorthodox characters, uh, but I think we're both going to have an interesting argument. Uh, you said they have a character that you don't even realize is you know, supporting the franchise in your rights. You don't realize she's there. Uh, the answer is Puss in Boots is the best character. Uh, one of the big points, honestly, uh, it's just a fact. It's the only character that deserved their own spinoff and actually got it. Like That that holds some weight that the, the writers and the, the producers and all that kind of stuff thought that the character was worth having its own movie. You get so much into Puss's background in that movie, which is incredible. But also in the other movies that he appears in, he steals every single scene that he's in. He overshadows both Shrek, Donkey, Fiona, Charmin, whoever he's up against. He's the best part any single time that he's on screen. Uh, you, it really just in Shrek 2 when it's introduced, brought in a breath of new air into the franchise, uh, really spice it up, and is the most memorable part of that movie, and continues to be the most memorable part of every scene he's in as he goes forward. All right, All right. Princess Fiona versus Puss in Boots. Five minutes when one of you starts off. Robert, I get it. You're 10 years old. You like the adorable little cat. That's what you need to admit to yourself. He didn't deserve his own breakoff movie. The reason he got it is because how are we going to sell another movie to kids? Why don't we take the cutest little character? Because he's literally a cat in boots. That's why he sells. Because he sells toys because you can make dolls out of him. He didn't deserve anything. He's literally Antonio Banderas being Zorro in cat form. That's all exactly. he Exactly. I don't know <laughs> That doesn't make him the best character in a franchise at all. That actually makes him the worst character in a franchise because he's just the actor rehashing something he's already done. 
That's not I, even I, the actual story of the Puss and Boots character. They completely, literally made it. Hey, we got Antonio Banderas to make him. Why don't we make him Zorro, guys? That's oh, yeah. all they did. You're right. They you're right. We, we have to, you're right. We have to stay very close to the source material when talking about Shrek. It's a big deal that we nail every single part of the real story. It doesn't matter. They take creative liberties. That point is completely moot. Uh, as far as Puss and Boots, there's actually like innovative things with the character not as far as just like the character design just the physical look like you said it's a cat in boots uh but that's i think is an oversimplification but also like innovative action you got like the ball of yarn you got the claws like cutting open like the glass it's just innovation for the character he fits in perfectly with the trio he overshadows both of the other two uh, as far as fiona i want to say this fiona has one good movie puss has four fiona is in the background of every single movie because the writers knew that she wasn't a good enough character in shrek 2 what is she doing not noticing that shrek is gone and that she's being wooed by charming in shrek 3 she's trapped and helpless with the other princesses just one last thing before i let you talk again um she was created to be this anti-damsel in distress, this very independent character, and she became the most dependent character as the series went on, always being defined by what's the people around her, the characters around her, instead of her own growth. See, then you're not watching the right movies then, because you're exactly right. They went away from the formula. She didn't have to be saved in the first one. She learned to be in love with herself. Then in the second one, you want to talk about she didn't know she wasn't being wooed? Yeah, she knew something was up the whole time. She knew something wasn't right, and she figured it out in the end. And she, and she wasn't a smart enough character to do anything her old life. They could have said in the first movie that Fiona would have chosen the prince over Shrek, and in the second movie, she didn't. In the third movie, yeah, they looked like damsels for one second, and then they remembered oh yeah we don't need guys and they figured out their shit themselves they, not and her. Then, they not her she's still the leader of that group okay either way she's the one leading the charge and then finally in the fourth movie she is the saving grace of the fourth movie what's puss doing the whole time being fat being her pet literally her secondary that's, that's what he's still, doing in the entire movie she that doesn't mean that, that she mean has that developed through every movie puss doesn't change a damn thing about himself throughout all his movies, and I don't care anything about Never his talk. backstory because his backstory is pointless. That's not true at all. If you're saying that uh, he didn't grow and didn't change, you didn't watch Puss in Boots. Of course he did. He started off as an orphan. You, Of course, you say that you don't care because you don't like the movie Puss in Boots. That doesn't mean that his story and his arc is non-existent or irrelevant. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean that it's not there, right? You see him as an orphan. You see his very like first relationship, uh, his first friendship, his first love, his first loss, his first grief. Those are like deep, emotionally resonant moments that that happen all throughout Puss in Boots. And just because you don't like the movie doesn't mean that like those moments don't happen. It's I mean, not that like, I don't like the movie. Let Robert keep going. Let Robert keep going. Let Robert keep So in, in two, Puss in Boots is the one who is actually actively doing things uh, to help switch Shrek and Donkey back and uh, to help advance their their plot. In Shrek 3, there's the whole body changing stuff, and he's the one who has the conversation with Artie to bring him back in the fold. In Shrek 4, he's the one who helps break out uh, the other members of the crew. Same with Shrek 3. He's the one who one breaks minute. out other members of the crew. Like He has something to do. Fiona spends all of Shrek 3 behind bars and i don't i know you say that like they don't need men and all that kind of stuff that may be true but she is still surrounded by other characters that are carbon copies of her and that's not good character growth that's not doing something interesting or exciting in the movie that's just being lame you just don't need that plot in that movie 
being lame is having a whole movie trying to force all this character development because they know their character is one-dimensional. They had to give him a movie because he was just a one-dimensional character. So just, he was he deserve it? Just, hey, hey, no, just, I didn't interrupt just, you. Let me talk. I didn't interrupt you. Let me talk. They told me to shut up. You shut up. My turn to talk now. They had to force him all this movie and all this backstory that led to nothing because now it's over. We literally just got all this thing, and why did they do it? To sell toys. That's why they did it, to sell Puss in Boots dolls. They didn't do it for any future projects that were going to help develop the character more. They are just like, let's make up a backstory for him. That way we can sell the toys and do all this. He is one-dimensional. Time. All right, Robert, you have yep. one minute when you start talking. So does he not deserve the movie because they want to sell toys, or did they make the movie to give him backstory? Because I don't care what the, the reason was that they made the movie. Fact of the matter is, the movie was made, he was given backstory, it mattered, it made him a more dimensional character, and it made him a more relatable character, a more emotionally resonant character. That happened. Just because it was done to sell toys, just because it was done to make money, is, hey, the point of all business is to make money. So because they had their business in mind when they gave this character something to do, Wow, good screenwriting. You gave your character something to do, something that they don't do with Fiona, especially in Shrek 4. You're talking about how she's this great leader, this great uh, emotionally resonant arc character. No, she's just like a military leader, and everybody around her does all of the hard work. Everybody around her is far more memorable. You don't remember anything about Fiona's uh, arc. You don't. Wh what was her arc? You say she has this arc, this great emotionally thing. How does she change? Wh what is it? Tell me. <laughs> time all right rj you now have one minute to close your argument when you start talking here's the arc you have the princess that thinks she wants the fairy tale ending she learns to find for true love in the second one she gets reintroduced to everything she could have had and for a second she is tempted but then she chooses that true love once again in the third movie she proves that even though people think she needs to depend on him, she is reminded, I took care of myself all those years and I don't need a man to take care of me. And in the fourth movie, she is Shrek's saving grace because she becomes the opposite of what she was. But he reminds her of their love. There is a full arc for her, a complete and full arc of her. So you need to pay attention to what's actually going on in the movie. You're just choosing to ignore her. There's a great story there. Whereas with Puss in Boots, yes, he sold toys, People were interested in him. That makes him a fan favorite. That never makes you the best character. Being the favorite character never makes you the best character. All they did was try to give him the backstory so they can make one more movie out of him and get a little bit more money. Fiona was there from the beginning and she deserves all the praise. All right. Can I just say I'm glad we did this instead of Shrek versus Donkey because that would not have been as fun. Oh, as God, that would have been. Yeah, that would have been boring. I'm glad we made the choices we did for this one. I almost picked Mongo. Oh my god, dude. Really? No. I can see the argument. That's the meme pick though, yeah. Are we are we all good? Twenty five seconds yeah. of screen time, it's the most memorable character across five movies? Hell yeah. I almost picked Jinji. Uh, Nick, you uh, get to go first since you broke it last time. Okay, doke. Um, I don't know how to sum up my thoughts. I'll, I'll just say I think you both picked um, good art for characters at different points in time, 
I wasn't always sold with the arguments against each other. Um, I think Robert's starting off with the, well, Puss in Boots, the writers thought Puss in Boots deserved more time because he's such a great character, and RJ immediately sort of countering that was a big statement right at the opening. And then overall, I think RJ did prove to me that Fiona does have this great arc, and she's not just forgotten. And at the end of the day, maybe Puss in Boots was just sort of giving a movie to sell toys. So, RJ. All right. I'll go next. Um, I have similar thoughts to Nicholas. Um, I thought that, yes, I thought that that RJ stumping Robert, he, to me, he stumped Robert right at the beginning with that writer's thing. However, where I disagree with Nicholas is uh, halfway through, it, I think this was kind of the opposite of the last fight. Uh, RJ was fighting Robert's fight on this one. Uh, and I think Robert in the end, I did RP for this one because I realized RJ, if you guys were watching me writing, would be a lot easier to find out what I was writing. So I wrote Robert for this one. I think that, yeah, he was just able to knock down um, reasons why Fiona wasn't as great and then proved a lot of beyond just the he was able to counter RJ's little toys and that they just did this because they needed another move, blah, 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 stuff really well. So I went with Robert. So Cody, you get to break this one. Um, so I'll just be show my cards. I discredited that the writers thought the person was cool, so they got a sequel because I don't think that's a, a good selling point of why that character is good. That's just studio, basically, and Fiona would have to get a divorce to get her own solo movie. So <laughs> on that note, I discredited that, and I think the biggest mistake in the fight was at the very end, Robert said, tell me Fiona's yeah. arc. And... <laughs> RJ could have went the entire fight and didn't tell me the arc and it would have lost this point, but RJ was able to tell the arc. So RJ. Yeah. All right. So with that, uh, apparently I just disagree. <laughs> you do. I just disagree with the other two people here all night. We'll see how the rest of this goes. It is one, one. Uh, and now we will move on to question three. Uh, question three is in the category of directors specifically. Mr. Kubrick, the question is, what is the most overrated Kubrick film? So, Robert, yep. uh, you will get to go first on this one because you drafted it. So, one minute when you start talking. To be overrated, you have to have two criteria satisfied. Uh, it has to be... Uh, well regarded and acclaimed as like something that's great, not just good, but great. And it has to be in reality, just fine or something or, or worse. Uh, but I, I think that there is a, a two, two pronged uh, definition of overrated, which is why I picked Barry Lyndon. Uh, I think critically and commercially, this movie was a massive success. This, as far as Oscars are concerned, is his most awarded movie. Think about that. Of every movie that Kubrick made, this is the most awarded. It was nominated for seven Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. It won four Oscars. Uh, it is hailed as a cornerstone of period drama uh, cinema of incredible cinematography and in reality it's three and a half hours of bullshit and it's just fine it's boring at times the pace is awful time all right rj one minute for your opening 
So I agree with Robert on one of the criteria for what something needs to be overrated. It needs to be like critically considered a pretty good movie. Like it's got to be almost, I don't think it has to be great. I think it's just got to be positive. And, but on the second one, I think the movie in reality just needs to make you go, what the frick did I just watch? And I think no Kubrick movie does that more than Eyes Wide Shut. I mean, that movie has a plot that really starts like it's going to make sense and then goes on this weird, very overly sexual sexcapade that ends with nothing. And you're kind of just sitting there at the end of the movie going, what the hell did I just watch? But because of when it was made and who was in it, everyone thought, no, this is this is a great movie, guys. It's got to be. It's not. RJ giving up time. Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, Barry Lyndon, eyes wide shut. Five minutes. When one of you starts talking, I don't think it's highly. I don't think people regard it in high enough standards for it to be overrated. I'm sorry. I think people think eyes wide shut is good just because something messes with your mind and makes you think in a different way. That doesn't mean it's overrated. To be overrated, people have to overrate it. And I don't think people do. Nobody has it. Most people have it in their bottom five Kubrick movies, which I think is a fair ranking considering some of the other movies he's made. Um, if anything, it's underrated. There's there's no Oscar buzz about this movie. Uh, nobody talks about it in the same sentence as his great movies like 2001 and uh, Dr. Strangelove. People do that with Barry Lyndon, at least as far as the Oscars is concerned, certainly, and critically as well. No, you're absolutely right. But like you said, with overrated Barry Lyndon, that's the movie that makes you go in there and think a little bit where Eyes Wide Shut, it doesn't make you think about anything. It just oh. goes on this weird culty murder mystery thing that literally leads to nowhere. At the end of the film, you're literally just stuck with, hey, I'm going to go back to my life and pretend like none of this ever happened. And okay. everything that just happened in the movie serves absolutely no purpose. That's why it's overrated, because it's really not even a good movie. It's literally just, I'm going to watch Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, who are a couple in real life at this time, be a couple in a movie. They're not even good at that in that movie. They don't They don't share a lot of screen time for the first place. And second off, just because it doesn't have a, a narrative that satisfies what you think of the end uh, doesn't mean that it doesn't make you think. I disagree completely. I think this is one of his most cerebral movies. This movie leaves you thinking more than any other movie that he's made except for maybe Clockwork Orange. Uh, it has a really complex and compelling... I'm, I know I'm the themes guy, but I'm going to say it because I think it's a valid argument here. It has really complex themes about sexuality and desire and like intricacies of adult relationships and jealousy and uh, cheating. And the movie is saying something about like wealth and greed and how wealth and sex are tied together. Like it has a lot of really, really interesting things to say about society. And just because uh, you don't think of it in that way and just because the, the ending they go back to their relationship at the end and maybe is a bit unsatisfying to you doesn't mean that it's overrated. Yes. But all that over analyzing you have to do for that, to find that meaning in that movie, that to me is what makes it overrated. If I That's have to Kubrick go movie. that deep into plot <laughs> and I can watch plenty of other Kubrick movies and not have to be like, man, that like was what? like, like I get the message of Odyssey and I get the message of Full Metal Jacket without having to sit there and literally break it down like, oh, that's a commentary on this. Oh, you, that's a commentary on you that. You get the message if of 2001 Space Odyssey, Odyssey without show, thinking about it? Yeah. I know what he's trying to say in it. <laughs> Fuck computers. Okay. Fuck now. That's all he's saying. 
Fuck Cal. Don't trust computers. That's not, that, that's not true. <laughs> that's not what... Hey, that's what, your opinion. Right, right. You're, you're right. You're right. You're right. Thematic interpretation is individualistic. That That is fair. Uh, but I, I think that just because you don't connect with the themes of it and you don't see them there doesn't mean that it's overrated. Uh, it, like I said, that if anything, the movies on as as a whole, just as a cinematic experience, Eyes Wide Shut is properly rated or underrated. I think it is never talked about as this great cinematic achievement, this great spectacle of filmmaking, the way that Barry Lyndon is. Barry Lyndon is regarded as one of the best period dramas ever made, some of the best cinematography ever put into film. Like it is where Kubrick has been awarded, like I said, the most at the Academy Awards. It is a very, very high percentage of the tomato meter for what it's worth uh and this movie is just not that good the pacing is abysmal you have to watch this movie in like 15 sittings to actually get through it all it's three and a half hours of like who took this person's cow and look i'm wearing a new coat now isn't that cool and my son-in-law i'm gonna go spank him with a paddle now one minute it's very strange and the pacing is just horrible it's just a bad hey, movie that's not true it's yeah, not a bad fair enough. Hey, it's three and a half hours is a long time to sit and watch a movie and digest a lot of stuff but like I said, once again, that's your opinion because there are people who will take your favorite movies, Lord of the Rings, and say, I'm watching three hours of walking and that's literally all I'm watching. So it's all about perspective. When you go in and see all the acclimates it's got, that's why I don't think it's overrated. It earned what it got, just like other that, movies have. That's it not true. What it, it got. Where Eyes Wide Shut, I don't think like it was his last movie. Everyone wanted to try to be like, oh yeah, this is his last great Come on, Stanley Kubrick, you got it. And everyone was like, yeah, let's give it the benefit of the doubt because it's his last movie and we want to remember him good when really, I don't think he cared about it. Barry Lyndon, you can tell that he cared that about not, it. He was, was working Stanley on that Kubrick movie till the day he died. Saying he didn't care about it, that is a falsehood, 100%. He it didn't make me feel like it did the way some, Barry Lyndon did. Some people say that movie is the reason God. he died. Like... All right. <laughs> RJ, one minute to close your argument. Look, I'm not going to pretend like I won this one. I know I lost this one. But here's my point. When you talk about an overrated movie, you're talking about movies that people tell you, oh, man, you got to see this movie. And you watch it and you're just at the end going, why the hell did you make me watch this? And to me, exactly what Robert did explaining that movie's themes to me is the definition of overrated. When someone has to sit you down and say, this is what it was about. This is what it is about. This is what it was about. That is the pure definition of, of overrated to me. I'm going to yield the rest of my time. Cause I don't even care. I don't like Kubrick anyways. Well, I like full metal jacket. <laughs> Robert, you have one minute to close your argument. Um, Whenever you start talking. So all art can have a, a deeper meaning, and you can also just enjoy it for what's on the surface. If you want to watch uh, Eyes Wide Shut just on the surface as a really wonderfully made, fantastic, cerebral thriller, like sexual thriller, you can. Uh, and it's an entertaining enough movie. If something's overrated because there's a deeper meaning that you have to analyze, I don't think that's a definition for overrated. That's a lot of high art, or not even high art. That's just a lot of movies, books, uh, paintings music like just the fact that things have themes and are trying to have some sort of commentary that alone doesn't 
make it underrated, or excuse me, overrated. Uh, overrated is a claim on multiple levels, awards critically, uh, commercially, and at the end of the day, it's not that good of a movie. Whereas Eyes Wide Shut, like I said, I think is a good movie. If that came, movie came out today, even if it wasn't directed by Kubrick, people would be like, wow, yeah, that was pretty good. That has a lot to say about society right now. That's it. Uh, this was a first for me of, uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if I had a white flag, I'd wave it. <laughs> Uh, Cody, you get to go first because I think you broke it last time. Listen, <laughs> I respect the hell on RJ because the one thing I've always asked somebody is don't give up on a question, even though if you're losing. He gave up on it, but at least he went through all the rounds and still fought it. He didn't just lay there in the middle of five rounds and say, I don't know. Um, I looked up Barry Lyndon. The whole fucker was like three hours, and I said, I'll be damned if I'm going to hit play on this thing. So that alone scared the shit out of me. But you can't award a point when someone concedes a point. It doesn't work like that, so Robert gets my point. <laughs> Nicholas. Yeah. Um, I've never seen either of these films. So, RJ, you could have sat there and lied to me for uh, seven minutes or so. And I would have believed you. Uh, but you chose not to do that. Uh, I respect the honesty, sir. Um, I, I will say I disagree with both of you because you kind of had the same definition of what overrated means. I don't think it has to be well-regarded. I just think it has to be better regarded than it actually is. Um, and Robert proved that. And then also RJ gave up. So Yeah, I, I wrote spob it halfway through the, <laughs> halfway through the fight. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, RJ, R, R, I actually don't think RJ was doing a bad job no, no. during the fight. I actually thought he was doing a good job, and then I was really shocked when he was like, I didn't win this. I was like, whoa! Um, so yeah, no, it's definitely Robert's point here. Uh, I, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're gonna go into the next question now. It's the final prep question. It's in the category of sports movies, specifically hockey movies and the question is what is the best scene in a non-fandom hockey movie so uh rj you drafted this you get to go first one minute when you start talking all right look the best part of any sports movie you all know what it is it's when the the main team or the main competitor whoever you're looking at it looks like they're about to be down and out and they have the rousing moment. It can be a speech. It can be a play. It can be something happening that gets everybody back in. And nothing proves that more than this is our pond in Mystery Alaska, uh, delivered by Russell Crowe fantastically. And it's just a, one of the most underrated sports speeches of all time. And I'll get more into that into the argument. But it is, as far as hockey movies go, if we're not counting fandom, this is the best hockey moment you can ask for in any other movie. I yelled my time. <laughs> I gathered that. Uh, okay, <laughs> Robert, uh, you now have one minute to open your argument. I went for the pre-match brawl uh, in Slapshot 
which is actually about hockey. You're right. That the, the, the speech when they look like they're down and out is a very iconic moment in sports movies. But the category is hockey movies. And I don't think that is really pertaining to the hockey genre itself. You can see that in any movie, any movie at all. This is something you'll only see in a hockey movie. Slapshot has been regarded as one of the most accurate uh, depictions of hockey in a movie. And the way that it uh, melds the humor, uh, the drama, and the uh, ultraviolence at the start of this brawl is really defining of hockey movies as a whole. Uh, you know, they, they get into this big fight. There's blood. There's uh, punching being thrown. There's refs getting thrown everywhere. Then they after the brawl, they stand up. They listen to the uh, Star Spangled Banner. The the ref comes up and yells at him for starting a brawl. He's like, I'm listening to the fucking song. And he like salutes. Again. I just think that the, the comedy and the violence and the, the, it's hockey. It's a hockey movie. It's a hockey scene. Time. All right, guys, five minutes. When one of you starts talking. I'll give you that. That is the funniest scene you will ever see in any hockey movie ever, but it is not the best. I mean, yeah. Okay. Okay. It's, it's reminiscent of hockey because fighting's a big part of hockey. But that's an overstated thing. And that's the one thing that everyone overrates about that movie. It's it's just a fun Paul Newman movie. Like, yeah, it makes fun of hockey in the way because all they do is brawl. That's all that movie is, is one big brawl. So the fact that, oh, there's a big brawl before the final game, it's just rehashing the entire movie of a bigger scale. And like you said, it, but it's one of the funniest moments in any hockey movie ever when he's just like, I'm listening to the fucking song. Whereas in Mystery Alaska, Whenever you got to go for the big speech, the beauty of it is it's not even a big speech. It's less than a minute. And it's not all this. Oh, we got heart. We got this. We got that. It's literally Russell Kogov saying, are you tired? Are you tired? Are you tired? Here's what we got to do. They're tired. We don't give them an inch. This is our pawn. Let's go do it. Everybody's like, fuck yeah. And then they go. That's exactly what you need from a hockey movie because it's so fast paced. That's how you get back in the game. It's disappointing. That scene is a letdown because when you're watching this movie, this movie is a little bit more melodramatic than I think you're giving it credit for, the movie as a whole. And this scene feels a lot of a little bit out of place. It feels a little bit rushed. It doesn't take the time of uh, something like a miracle, maybe. Like that speech, which the, these two speeches mirror each other a little bit. Uh, the miracle one takes its time. It revels in that melodrama. It really just re- relaxes and lets the movie take its time to really build your emotions. You don't have enough time to build your emotions in this moment. Like you said, it's less than a minute. You don't have enough time to really get in the headspace of these people, especially because it comes out of nowhere. Uh, Burt Reynolds walks in, starts talking to some people, and Russell Crowe interrupts him, and he's like, let's go do this. Like, you're, it's, it's kind of jarring. And it's also, like I said, you can see that in any sports movie. It doesn't have to be a hockey movie. This is a hockey scene. Exactly, but he gives a hockey speech. Like he said, you don't need that buildup. You don't need any of that. When you play hockey, it's about getting back on that ice when you get up. You barely get a whistle. You got to be right back on the ice ready to go. And just like that, and there's no buildup. Dude, when they go into that room, they're down like four to nothing, four to one. I'm sorry. I haven't watched the movie in a long time, but I know they're down. And that's why that is the buildup. They're in there sitting there like, man, what are we going to do, man? We thought we had this. We're, we're going down. And when you have someone, instead of the coach getting you together, the coach saying like, man, we're done. You know, guys, we tried. You know, we're good. We're out for one of the players to come up and say, I'm not done. And he gets everyone together. You done? You done? You done? No, no, no. Taking them all at their word. Like, all right, then this is what we're going to go do. We're going to go back out and do it. So you just said that it's like a hockey speech, except for the word pond. It's not. You can substitute the word pond for court P 
pitch, field, court, or like a, uh, you know, a- any other sports word, and then you can pick that scene up and move it to any sports movie in the last 60 years, and it still fits in exactly. It's not uh, reminiscent of a hockey movie. I think to be the best scene in a hockey movie, there has to be some connection to the sport. It has to just be a little bit more... Um, representative maybe of all of the aspects of the sport which brawling is one of them which comedy like you know cracking jokes is one of them which the the violence is one of them the the drama you know the warm-ups is one of them that's something you see in this scene as well it just shows you more about what the sport is about uh instead of just what russell crowe can do do chewing scenery for 40 seconds look okay you want to talk about okay you could take that you could take a fight into any sports movie too you can take them out on of ice with put them, on a, put them on a put them on a football field. It's two football teams fighting. They're still going to let the game go on too. You put some in a basketball movie. There's plenty of basketball movies One where minute. guys throw down in, in a match because there's tension and everything. Same with a baseball movie. There's plenty of baseball movies where guys run, rush to the field, and yeah, they still get to play. Oh, so fighting's fighting's a part of like baseball. What? Fighting's a part of football. Fighting's <laughs> a part of everything. Just because you're technically allowed to fight in hockey, and let me let you in on a newsflash you're not allowed to fight on that big of a scale in hockey okay just like in any sport if the entire team gets into a fight everyone's gonna try to break it up it's a and movie we're gonna get it's a dramatization that that's not that's not a fair critique it's a dramatization every movie takes oh, so it's a characteristic for you that my speech can be in any sports movie but i can't say a fight could be in any sports movie that's not i didn't say that the fight no, no no i said i said the bringing in the technicality of the rules of hockey i said that is not a fair critique i don't think that is a fair critique because it is a dramatization it's a movie like i said your your scene feels jarring compared to the tone of the rest of the film all right time all right robert you get one minute to close when you start talking good can't wait one sec sorry you said it yourself fighting can be a part of any other sport but not in the same way it is with hockey, not on the ice, not with skates and uh, with sticks, with no helmets during a warm-up. Like, yeah, you can have a baseball movie where somebody like spits at the other person or like pretends to throw a punch, but not on this scale, not in any other sport do you see this. That is why it's the best hockey scene because you have the warm-ups you have the the um the actors actually showing off their like skills in hockey as skaters as pass you know doing real warm-ups you see the violence which uh, entangles in with the comedy it is reminiscent and demonstrative of the sport as a whole and it's not just like any other sports fight because it happens on a hockey rink in a hockey movie and it's very the even the fight itself is focused on hockey your speech can be made from anywhere it's too short it's jarring and uh i yield my time you're one second all right yep one second (laughs) rj one minute to close your argument when you start talking If you're saying that that speech comes in a jarring sense, then you're not watching the entire movie. The entire movie builds up to the fact that these guys from this small town are considered some of the best hockey players in the world and they just never had the chance to prove themselves. And now they're in the position and they're losing and they're being beat at home and they feel defeated and they're ready to give up. And all it takes is that one player to turn them around and get them there. You can talk all day about like, oh, that can be in any sports movie. No, you can't. Not a speech like that. 
That is what you get from a hockey movie. You get it about them being tired, looking at the other team, knowing we got the advantage on them because we know this ice. We know how to breathe out here. They can't stand the cold. We can stand the cold. He brings that all up in it, what the aspects of hockey they can beat them in. The pond is not the only inclination of the hockey in here. Whereas in the fight, all you're doing is glorifying the one thing in that movie is why that movie came out because that went away. This is a great speech. You were going to pick a speech yourself Karn. anyways. Um, all right. <clears throat> this one, this was a good one. This was a good one. To close out. Fun. By the way, we should all go watch these movies after this. I have not seen either of them. So. Oh, S- Slapshot is a great know. comedy, but Mystery Asla is actually a really good like hockey movie. It's a great movie. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll go first because my vote technically did not count on the last one. Technically. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know anything about hockey. I've not not seen either of these films. So the arguments of like, I really, I really tried to listen for what is the best scene. The question was, what is the best scene in a hockey movie? Not as not what the best hockey scene is or the best hockey movie based on those arguments. I'm going with Renee jr. Um, I think that he did a better job of talking about why his scene specifically mattered to that movie, those characters there. Uh, and Robert painted a, a, a picture of a, of a scene that I thought could be really funny and interesting, but RJ painted a better, this is the best scene in any hockey movie for these reasons. So that's why I went with RJ. Uh, Cody, we'll go to you next. Um. So yeah, the the speech can be in any movie is understandable. Like I understand that viewpoint, um, but that's also why people love sports movies. At the end, they, I think there's back and forth. I think there was a huge argument. Is like, can this be reality inside of hockey, or could this be like, if we remove pond, can we put football in there, and can it mean the same? Like that's so. I tried to. Sub- I've seen both these movies. Um, and I, I took that out too. I just let you guys try to tell me about it. I still give it to RJ on this one just because I think he fought it better overall. All right, Nick, your vote doesn't count. Where are you going? I've seen neither of these films. Um, me either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know after you picked Miracle. Well, now <laughs> you're four because I, I gave the point to Robert. Um, because. The, the whole, it can be transplanted into any sports movie, did sort of hold weight with me. And um, RJ didn't really tell us about the characters in the movie until his closing. So, like, I didn't know why those characters were any different from any other characters in movies that weren't winning. And what won it for me is RJ gave Robert the point right at the beginning saying it's the funniest. And I'm like, well, why does that mean it's not the best? <laughs> okay. Well, Fair enough. Big, there you have Audio it. Means best I did. I did watch. <laughs> I, did watch the, I did watch the speech in very last year, and it made me want to watch the rest of the movie. So. Yeah, I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm makes it the best. I'm saying like he gave it something. He gave it a positive, whereas like no positives were given to the other thing. Anyway, go ahead, Tim. <laughs> it's just in funniest means best in Nick Two Weeks World. More details at eleven. 
I like the laugh. This ju- this just in, you got an inside peek at night uh, nights of Ren meetings. So uh, there we go. All right, so uh, we are going to move on to the speed round. This is how this is going to work. Uh, the writers of this extraordinary league, aka me and Cody, uh, came up with a question from a category, an unknown category, a mystery category. You guys are going to have to pick an answer for the question that I'm going to say. I'm going to say the answer or the question. Uh, and then I will wait a couple seconds. I will say the question again. Once I've said the question twice, you may answer. The person who says an answer first will be going first. The person who says second will be going second. You have 45 seconds to open your argument. Uh, then the second person will have 45 seconds to rebuttal, then 30, then 30, and then me and Nick and Cody will judge. Do we understand the rules of the speed round, gentlemen? Okay. So the category from the question today is a war zone category in the category of crime films. The question is, what's the best crime film? The Godfather. What's the best crime film? Goodfellas. Okay, so technically, I don't know what to do here. I think we still go with Robert first because he still said an answer. Yeah, yeah, I hit it the I'm, second time. We're good with that. Oh, you so said it two times. I'm so sorry. Okay. I, I'm so, 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 so sorry. I, I yeah, thought good. you meant like you're giving us the time and that's like our time limit. <laughs> right. I'm like, sorry. You're good. We're going to go with it anyway. So yeah, Robert right. has chosen The Godfather. RJ has chosen Goodfellas. That's what you said, right, RJ? Yes, I did. Okay. So, Robert, you are going to get 45 seconds. I'm going to keep you both on screen and myself on screen this whole time. I'll give you a 10-second warning when your time is coming up. Robert, you have 45 seconds for the best crime film when you start talking. The most influential and important and best piece of modern pop culture in the last 50 years. Uh, the most, the best ensemble cast ever brought together. The best score ever written for a film. The best adaptation from any novel to screenplay. Fires on all cylinders. Uh, it is a care. It is a movie that makes you care for the characters. You live with them. You're part of the family. Part of the mob. And when things happen, you feel it. When the, the Don has an attempt on his life. When Sonny dies, you feel all of these things. You rise with Michael through his sort of twisted journey uh it, it is just one of the most memorable there's a reason it won best picture there's a reason it's considered one of the best films ever made uh goodfellas i think for a lot of people is a little bit bloated time okay rj 45 seconds when you start talking uh, yeah, everything Robert said is true. And yeah, that makes it a nice movie. Doesn't make it the better crime movie. A good crime movie is when you actually have a movie that you actually feel the glorification of the crime, where at the same time, you know that everything they're doing is illegal and in somewhat way evil. And Goodfellas does that in such a good way, especially from the uh, point of view of Henry Hill. And knowing that this is based on a true story makes it even crazier because it's like all this Stuff is based on real things that happen. These real crimes, the whole thing where they robbed the airport was a real crime. That makes this the better crime movie because you see all, it it actually gives you a real sense of real crime. Time. All right, Robert, 30 seconds when you start talking. 
what could be more real than the Italian mafia? I mean, they uh, they make you feel with the, the, the crime that's happening. When you see Michael shoot those people in the Italian restaurant, you feel that. You're right there with them. Of course, it's real crime. Uh, it, just because it's in New York longer ago doesn't make it any uh, less real. Uh, as far as Goodfellas, I don't think it condemns the crime enough. I think it glorifies the lifestyle a little bit too much. The historical inaccuracies, by the way, of all the, the accounts of the tales that Henry Hill wasn't that important, uh, definitely just a little bit overrated. And Time. Robert De Niro doesn't have enough to do. RJ, 30 seconds when you start talking. Yes, they're going to take dramatic liberties with how they depict and everything, but the thing is, you know it's actually based on something true. And they are following the Italian mafia as well, but they're putting it in a more real sense that we can understand while he's narrating it through, explaining. Whereas The Godfather, all depends on murder. It's all about murder. Kill him, kill him, kill him. Whereas... Uh, Goodfellas gives us more crime. It's not just about the killing that goes on. It's about what we're actually doing in the organization. And then you also have a movie that really also kind of depends on its sequel to continue the story, whereas Goodfellas is a nice self-contained crime story by itself. Time. Damn, I can't believe I made that. All right. <sighs> Damn. I wish I could rebut that so hard. I should have waited. I should have waited. I should have oh, waited. I, I, as soon as you went first, I was like, I got him. <laughs> no, I don't think you've got. I'm not going. Okay, all right. Okay. So, okay. So all right. When I'll be last. I'm more scared. Sorry. Oh my god. Who who broke the tie last time? Was it Nick? Well, no, there was no tie to break. You went last though. Yeah. No, no, I went last. You can make me go. You can make me break the tie. He's lying. He's lying. Kelly didn't go last. I went last. I honestly have no clue. There are so many problems with both podcasts. All right. All right. I guess I'm just going to go with my gut and hope everybody stays my friend afterwards. something down and then erased it. I'm losing my mind. This is the worst I thing. regret picking that category now. <laughs> yeah, good question, guys. <laughs> we're, we're prime film. It, it could be one of the best debates of the, the night. Yeah, right? this, that, was, that, was, that was really great. Tight. That was great. Um, Nick, you do get to go first because you yeah, went right. last time. So go ahead. Uh, real tough. I think it might have been a little tougher for you too, because like it, I had to think about it for a little bit, and then there were some points that won me over. One, uh, everything Robert said about The Godfather in his opening was all sort of subjective. It was like influential, um, all, all this stuff. And then RJ said, yeah, you're right about all of that. So uh, that sort of pushed me towards Robert. Uh, I liked uh, RJ's thing about focusing on real like true life story thing but then robert sort of said well there's inaccuracies about it so when you find that out does it make the movie less impactful based on what you're saying uh so at the end of the day uh the correct answer is shark tail and i voted for robert shark tail's terrible film uh cody do you want to go next or do you want to go last yeah because this will make it a little bit more closer i i just i i hate the viewpoint that since somebody says something that means they award the points listen 
my stance on it, Robert said Robert De Niro doesn't have a lot to do in this film, which is also another bullshit statement. If we're counting bullshit for bullshit. My viewpoint is Robert said everything at the beginning that meant nothing about why it's the best crime film. Why it's the best film of all time, 100% score, Oscars, wins, influential, all that stuff. Count it. RJ focused two straight opening and closings on crime, on why it's the best crime film overall. And I think Robert didn't attack Goodfellas enough in the first and didn't give me enough why it was more crime. And then he couldn't combat the murder of RJ. That was in his closing. I didn't have the opportunity. I, I know he didn't have a chance to combat it at that point. So that's that was my take. Is he brought up the murder? You didn't tell me more of the organized crime in yours that would have helped in that argument or fight him. He just said murders, and then you were left in the dust. So mine is RJ on this one. <laughs> I think Nick's, I think Nick's just making fun of you, Cody. Uh, okay, I can help so. him later on. Yeah, I get to I get to be the deciding here. Uh, I also went with my gut based off of what Cody said when I heard Cody say "go with go with your gut." I kind of just had to do that as well. And I, uh, no offense to you, RJ, I hate to do this, That's right. or I hate to say this, but I feel bad because I hate to do this to Robert because he's my brother. But I'm giving it to RJ oh um, because I 100% agree with Cody. I think that Ro- everything Robert said in the beginning is really accurate if we said what is the best best picture winner best picture nominee or something like that but for crime movie in the rules of the speed round what was allotted to the players i think rj gave me the better reason why goodfells is a better crime movie so with that your winner rj moving on to the next round of the tournament uh let's let's talk to him right away uh rj Sorry, I cut out. Uh, you won this match. You are now one and one in fan zone. How are you feeling? Batting five hundred always feels good. Um, no, I, I really, um, I feel. I mean, I was gonna feel good even if I lost because I always feel good when you don't get knocked out in this realm because it's very easy to, especially up against someone like Robert. I thought he had me um, for sure. Not on hockey. I think I had him on hockey. I'll admit, I was a little cocky on hockey, but I thought he had me on DreamWorks. I really did. So I was very shocked when I had that. And then when crime came up, I was nervous about what the question was about to be. And I kind of took advantage when Robert jumped the gun. I I took advantage because I was like, he's going to make himself go first. I just need to listen to what he's going to say and find a way to fight it. Because And I made sure I listened to the question because everything y'all said, why y'all said y'all gave it to me, That's what happened to me against Ryan. I didn't listen to the question right, and my argument made no sense to the actual question. So I wanted to make sure that I'm fighting, you said best crime movie, I need to focus on the fact that it is crime and the crime itself that takes place in the picture. So I'm glad that worked out for me. It sucks that I'm moving on to the tournament because I'm probably going to get beat again because I'm terrible in tournaments. But it's it's nice. It's It's always nice to have a win in anything. Yes, uh, RJ, you are now moving on to play the winner of your last opponent, Ryan O'Regan, or Mr. Caleb Coho. One of those two people are going to be your next opponent. So out of those two, who you want? Neither. 
F both those guys. Ryan wants so much payback for like losing that. One. I remember he was really upset about losing one argument to me. So I feel like he's going to come in for the knockout. And Coho knows me too well. Coho knows what buttons to push. And I'm afraid of that. Um, congrats to either one of you who wins because you'll automatically be going to the third round. But I'll show up and I'll put up a good fight. I'll try not to give up a point like I did tonight. I'll at least do that for you guys. <laughs> Yeah, RJ, don't do that again. Okay. I won't um, do it again, I promise. I swear I won't. <laughs> let's move over to Robert. Robert, it was really close. Uh what do you what how are you feeling about the match? I feel fine. I did fine. I thought I I thought I did better in the DreamWorks one than apparently I did. Uh and semantics gonna semantics on the last question. Like that's just gonna happen. I and I, I it's part of the game and you live with it. And I still had fun. Um, I, yeah, it was a good. It was fun. Uh, you can always uh, yell at RJ though about the whales. That's what you have on. Oh RJ. yeah, no, that was really fun. And like, I, I don't know. I think I wish part part of me wishes we had like drawn categories a little bit differently because like clearly I was going to win the Kubrick question, and clearly he was going to win the hockey question. Like there was not a an argument either way i think for either of those so part of me wishes like those two had been a little bit closer either way but i don't know shit happens all right well uh this does mean that you're out of the tournament but what this does mean though is that i can use you as a host again which means Ah, ulterior motives i will be no no i'm kidding i'm kidding it's a joke Um, but I will. But uh, so we will see you back in that capacity uh, very soon. But Robert, thank you for being here tonight. Judges, final thoughts. Cody, we'll go to you first. Um, yeah. Uh, so the new judging uh, rivalry that I have is uh, Brooklyn Vale is now Nick Tuig. Um, so that's cool. Uh, I hate to live with that. Uh. And uh, RJ upsetting uh, Robert makes this tournament a lot more interesting because Robert's already challenged for the belt. Um, I think twice. I think it just makes I, yeah twice. So I think it. Uh, and I'm like, excited to get him on the hosting desk, like the judges' desk, because he knows in and out how to debate. He clearly thinks you know we did <laughs> we were wrong on some of the votes, which will make good uh, judging debates. So um, and then I mean RJ, please don't lay down because I think you actually did a lot better than you're letting on because I think I think if you again pay attention to the question, you have a shot to go as far as everybody else. So pick your strengths accordingly and you'll do fine. Yeah. Right, and Tuig, I hate you. <laughs> Tuig, uh You've been verbally abused this evening, but what do you think about the match? Cody's wrong a lot of the time. Cody's incorrect sometimes. Yep. You heard it here first. Um, anyway. You want to name an incident? Because uh, there were two tonight, actually. Anyway. Best one on Star Trek. Anyway. Robert and RJ are great. Um, uh, Cody is right though this does make the rest of the tournament very interesting Uh, Robert being such a high seed being knocked out so early so I'm excited to see uh, what happens next Uh, I think the fights were close even the one RJ gave up on like when he goes I give up I was like there have been way more one-sided fights where people did not give up so RJ don't do that next time and I agree with Cody as I do 90% of the time um, that you could go far in this all right, well, guys, that's going to do it for us here at FanZone. Uh, we have another match coming up in two weeks' time. Brian Michaels 
Uh, the number three seed is coming back to take on the number 14 seed, Amaru Moses. Uh, so that is going to be a very interesting match. Last time we saw Brian, he lost to Mr. Tuig. And last time we saw Amaru, he lost to Mr. Tuig. So uh, that will be a great match to see. Uh, we'll see that in two weeks for that. But for Robert, RJ, Nick, Cody, and myself, we'll see you all next time. Grab a Michelob Ultra. Goodbye. Asshole! That's my bad. I was saying a tweet.